As frustrating as it is, we can't control everything in life and things happen to us unexpectedly that cause us to take off time from work. For some of you, that's a sick day. For others, that's taking off time because a loved one passed away. But regardless, that is a natural part of life. On the Breaking Stars podcast, we've definitely interviewed teen parents like Rita Henderson and Natasha Viana, who were able to take control of their situation and navigate the tech world. But on today's episode, we want to specifically cover a different phenomenon happening in the tech world called returnships. A returnship is a program for uh, mothers and fathers and people that had to take off time to take care of their elders that uh, want to eventually return to work. And, and that time period is essentially years off from work, but they are facing challenges from employers that have a flawed but natural assumption that they don't have the skills to work in their environments. So today specifically, we are interviewing Tammy, who is the founder of Path Forward, um, and also uh, Wendy, who is in the marketing team at Zendesk, who took off many, many years to take care of her kids before she joined Zendesk. And it's a great episode for any of you that are dealing with these challenges and want to have some assurance about whether that's okay or how to navigate it. Um, if you are an employer that wants to know how to create these programs at your organization, this episode is for you. If you are a parent or someone that is about to be a parent that wants to learn how to keep their skills up, we can point you to several of our programs to get skills or maintain skills like App Academy, Hack Reactor, SSP, Always Hired, Product School, and all kinds of other things like that, depending on what you want to do. Feel free to like our page on Facebook or join our community on Facebook, the Breaking Stars community, or send us an email. My email is Ruben. R-U-B-E-N at BreakingStars.com or you can email Archer, Timor, or Patrick also at BreakingStars.com. We are here for you and you should never be stereotyped for taking years off and we're going to change that perception together and we just need to need to work together in order to make that happen. So without further ado, let's break it. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, yo, yo. This is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars Podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, so it's a Monday night. And... We're sitting here at Zendesk, right on Market Street in South of Market in San Francisco. And this is actually the first episode of 2018 for Breaking Into Startups. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, Happy New Year. And we're very honored to have these two very special ladies on the podcast. Ruben, can you please introduce the guests? Yeah, so we give a lot of shout outs to mom on the podcast. And we've gotten a lot of feedback from the parents in the Breaking Stars community wanting to know what it takes to break back into tech after you've been out of work for several years. And so today, a shout out to Marissa Iyer for Marisa Iyer from Zendesk for 
coordinating an interview with Wendy Padua, who is the mother of three beautiful kids, daughter, two sons, who was out of work for 16 years, and she's part of the marketing team at Zendesk. And we're joined also by Tammy Foreman, who is a PR veteran, but also the executive director for Path Forward, which is a nonprofit organization that creates mid-career internship programs to ease the transition back to work for women and men after taking a break for raising children or other caregiving responsibilities. It's going to be a great episode. We're excited to have this conversation. And so for those of you that have not been paying attention to the Women's March or the Golden Globes or anything like that, we have a message for all of you that time's up. So Tammy and Wendy, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Thank Ruben. You. That's a great lead and great intro. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And so um, for the people that don't know, what is a returnship? Great. So a returnship is another word for an internship, but that is specifically aimed at people who have had a career and are looking to return to that career. So we think of internships as something that college kids do. A returnship is something that someone who's had a prior career and is looking to return would do. So it's similar to an internship in that it's temporary. They can be anywhere from 10 weeks to 16 weeks. Our particular program is 16 weeks. And they're aimed at getting people back into the workforce. Yeah. No, and I think this is important work that you're doing. And you said something very interesting in the pre-chat because we cover a lot of things like people that are veterans trying to get back in the workforce or people that were formerly incarcerated trying to get in the workforce. And you said something in particular about a mother that was trying to break back in. Can you kind of explain that and kind of like go into some of the challenges that mothers and fathers have trying to break back into tech? Yeah, I think women, and it's disproportionately women, we do have a couple of men in our program, but women are 12 times more likely than men to be out of the workforce for caregiving. Wow. So it is mostly women and they have a lot of self-doubt and get a lot of negative feedback, both stated and unstated from the marketplace. And we had one woman in our program who said that in describing her experience going on interviews with this gap on her resume, she said, they acted like I had been in jail. Wow. <laughs> I was like, exactly. Wow. Like that was her feeling of it. And it was really difficult for her to overcome. Wow. Yeah. So for this woman that was part of your program, how, like, what did you do to help her? Like, how's the Path Forward program structured? Or what does it look like? Yeah. So Path Forward as an organization, we do a couple things. We focus on working with companies to help enable them to launch and implement these programs. So we work with the HR staff and the recruiters. We work with the hiring managers. We get them trained up on how to find talent, how to recruit talent, how to interview those women, and how to run the program. So we focus on and really creating space within those organizations to create this program. The companies hire the women that they want to bring into the program. And once the companies we're working with have hired those women, we bring all the women across our network together and do professional development workshops with them, 100% aimed at easing that transition, both personally and professionally, back to the workplace. On the podcast, we usually say that, and we talk about it a lot, that majority of jobs are not found online or people don't get jobs by going on and applying online. They do it through connections. And if you're in tech and you're looking for your next job, it might be easier to get a job than someone who is either breaking into tech or if you've been out of workforce for a very long time. So can you talk a little bit more about how does the networking component help people get back? And what are some tips or advice for people to start building that as they're thinking about their next career in tech? Yeah, it's interesting. 
our program works in a couple of ways that are interesting. Definitely, I mean, networking helps everyone all the time. But one thing, because we create these programs, we kind of give a leg up to people who've been out of the workforce. So we actually create some space that they don't necessarily have to know someone at that company to be considered, even though they have a gap on their resume. So we sort of help them overcome that hurdle on the kind of intake part. But because we bring our cohorts together across a bunch of different companies, so the cohort that Zendesk was a part of included Cloudflare and Demandbase and Coursera, right? A couple other great companies. So we've heard from women who've been out of the workforce, like my professional network has, you know, has gone away. You now know people at four or five or 10 other companies that you can network with, which will help you both at the end of your returnship as you're looking for work, but also throughout your career. I'm playing a long game, right? It's not just about the job they get now. I want to accelerate their careers over the next 5, 10, 20 years. Yeah. And speaking of Zendesk and gaps on your resume, Wendy, I mean, this is 16-year gap. You know, how did Path Forward help you, you know, reintegrate into the workforce? What are some things that you, some mental challenges that you were facing, like from an imposter syndrome perspective, maybe? What are some things that you were thinking about? Mm -hmm. Thank you for asking. Mm -hmm. Lots of great questions. for me. Being associated with Path Forward was putting me on a more equal playing field. There was a absolute tendency to avoid and disconnect from the couple of employment opportunities that I had pursued, even though they were through personal network, a personal and professional network that I had. So I felt, you know, going, putting myself out there for the first couple of times and updating my resume and deciding, you know, I really felt very selective. I felt really pretty, pretty darn optimistic to begin this whole process. Like I've been doing great stuff for the last 16 years. It hasn't been paid and it hasn't, you know, been something that I can add on my work experience. But I categorized my resume in a way that included community experience. And I had a lot of it and I felt really great about sharing that. So taking a look for me at where I wanted to spend my time. Mm -hmm. I was very selective about the kind of company I wanted to work for, the kind of people that I wanted to be around, the kind of role that I wanted to be able to contribute in. And so it was with that, I wrote some very personal cover letters and I had addressed a couple of things, you know, through the recommendation of people that I knew at those companies. And I felt pretty optimistic about it. And I really quickly was brought into... (laughs) A lot of people's reality, which is, it's going to take more than that. Yeah, I, um, I got nothing. I got a very, very, you know, low response, if any response at all, from several of these companies that I attempted to reach out to. And so for me, Path Forward created a level playing field, yeah. knowing that I was contacting a company who was willing to look past a 16-year resume gap and take a look at what I did have to offer rather than what I was missing. Yeah. I love that you covered community experience during that time period because a lot of times it is a perceived disadvantage. I mean, something that we cover a lot on the podcast is like these side projects and the way that you can put them on the resume Mm -hmm. to spin them into a role or skills that you develop into whatever role that you're going for. Like, you mentioned before, like fundraising for like leukemia. I think you did something like that, right? If you're able to explain how much you were able to raise or like some kind of sales experience that you did helping with the bake sale or something like that, or throwing an event, there's things that you can do to point that out. So Arthur kind of yeah. wanted to go off of that. Yeah. I wanted you to kind of, can you take us back to, I guess uh, when you were 
you mentioned you have three children, right? So you were raising them and take us back to the moment when you decided to kind of take this seriously and kind of approach your career search and start networking and starting to prepare yourself back. Like what was kind of what was your internal dialogue and what were some of the hesitations you had at that moment? Most of the hesitations that I had, and they sat with me for quite a while. So I would say I pride myself on being someone who is not afraid to jump into the unknown, embrace that and try think, you know, try new things and encourage my children to do that. Mm-hmm. And as we talked about a little bit earlier as well, you know, this really I wanted to walk the talk mm-hmm. that I was raising three children who I really and not I, I should say we, my mm-hmm. husband certainly as well. <laughs> you know, really both of us being unfailing in terms of our desire for the kids to have that kind of influence Mm -hmm. in the house. You know, like be interested, be curious, ask, try things, really, you know, be unstoppable that way. And I realized Mm -hmm. that I was that way where I felt comfortable, which was in the home. Mm -hmm. I tackled things furiously when it came to fundraising and participation in our neighborhood schools and in the community Mm -hmm. in general. But I had not taken that when the children were young into back into my professional world. Mm -hmm. And after that many years, honestly, and particularly during this time, the things that came up for me in terms of self-doubt were all related to technology and processes Mm -hmm. and the speed that people communicate Mm -hmm. with now. It was all enormously different than when I left the workforce 16 years ago. Yeah. And you all mentioned that mothers are perfect for startups. And you made, like, you explained it very well. Mm-hmm. But for the people that, like, may not understand why, can you break that down? I think Tammy and I can probably both add something to that because <laughs> we've both been there. You know, we kind of chuckled. I don't want to take her words out of her mouth because she did a great job describing it. But, you know, talk about being in a role where, multitasking, salesmanship, leadership, you know, driving into the unknown, certainly in terms of bringing home a new baby, and really being somebody who is comfortable forging ahead without direction. So for me, you know, when I look from a parenting perspective at who I admired, my husband and I happened to live in an area at the time, we had no family around when the kids were very small. Um, Our families were both in different parts of the country. And so it was very much, you know, gut instinct and read the books and really look to people who I admire. I absolutely looked to people whose families, uh, the dynamics that they had in their family and the empowerment that they showed their children. I looked to those people um, to raise my own family and to be that kind of an influence. And so when it comes to the workplace, being able to translate those kinds of skills into the workplace, Mm -hmm. every single one of them is relevant. Mm -hmm. Every single one. Yeah. So it is up to us, though, as we talked about a little bit, too, to let the companies and let the hiring managers know if they haven't been through that themselves, they don't know what that takes. So it's really up to us as parents um, to make that connection for the hiring managers. Mm-hmm. Why in the world, you know, helping raise money for an elementary school is relevant to a marketing job? Mm-hmm. Make that connection for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a story I often tell when we're training hiring managers 
about kind of the skills that are gained outside the workforce, I talk about moms who have children with special needs. So this is actually something I've seen come up a lot where women are actually pushed out of the workforce because they they need to take care of a child who has special needs. Mm-hmm. And the hallmark of that, um, and I'm a special needs mom, so I understand oh, wow. this. The hallmark of that is that you have to digest extraordinarily complicated information that you've never encountered before, make big life-changing decisions quickly, mm-hmm. and sometimes in the face of ambiguity. Yeah. Who else does this, yeah. right? What other category of person does this? Yeah. Oh, I know, CEOs. Mm-hmm. And that's why we pay them a lot of money, mm-hmm. right? Because they can digest a lot of information and make important decisions quickly. That's yeah. very decisive mm-hmm. of them, Interesting. right? Interesting, good point. <laughs> and, you know, it, I talk to hiring managers about these things all the time, right? Running volunteer organizations, coordinating an international move, which is something Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of, right? Mm -hmm. And what I'll sometimes get a little pushback on is like, well, those are soft skills. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the thing. A lack of hard skills, you're not going to be able to do the job, right? Full stop. We all get that. That's not what gets Mm -hmm. people fired, right? It's the inability to work with other people, right? It's the can't play with the other kids. Like that's the thing that gets you fired, right? It is that teamwork, collaboration, those are the things that make the difference between a great hire and a not great hire. Yeah, and there's a lot of mothers that like are homeschooling their kids, teaching them all kinds of technical skills that make them the top STEM people out here. I have a lot of homeschool friends. One of the women who was in our, our first pilot program with PayPal, she is a self-taught engineer. Mm-hmm. And part of how she got into it was because her son was doing a coding school camp mm-hmm. and she got into it. Mm-hmm. And started taking her own classes and did the Hack Reactor thing, which mm-hmm. is like this super <laughs> hardcore, right? Shout out to Hack Reactor. Yeah. yeah. I actually went to Hack Reactor, so it's a small world. <laughs> there you go. And she's now at PayPal and doing great and yeah. is a rock star there. Yeah. Never done programming or engineering before. So, yeah. so absolutely. Yeah. And like, I love that you emphasize like there is no startup manual. And a lot of like startup founders or investors always talk about how a startup is their baby. Totally. Right? And to your point, they like, continue charting a path forward with no direction and eventually things work out and but they move forward with confidence and stay true to their mission they don't get distracted and it sounds like that's what moms do right they send you home with this little baby there's no manual right you're like oh wait you're letting me leave with this are you kidding me i'm not qualified for this and you just figure it out and moms just figure it out and you also have to be confident in that. The kids smell fear. Oh, yeah. They know. They know. <laughs> if you think you don't know what you're doing, you got to fake it till you make it. They try kids. authority all the time. Oh, my God. All the time. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I know. Totally. I I'm going to put me in check a lot of times. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. You, you. Actually, take it back because my cousin is actually... One of my cousins just had a baby two days ago. Shout out to Olga and Maria. Welcome to the uh, world. Yeah. So Maria is actually still at the hospital. So they're about to go back, I think, tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But for moms who go through like this period of like taking care of a human being, and I think we all can agree that family comes first. But at Mm -hmm. some point, you start thinking about kind of like yourself, like what are your career goals? What are your life goals? So Wendy, this question is for you. You mentioned that in the pre-chat that for the first few years, you kind of, family was your number one priority. And then later on, your inner dialogue changed to the point where you wanted to be an example for your kids. Can you take us back to that moment when you were, you kind of had that aha moment where you decided to take the next step to find your next journey or opportunities? Sure. 
Thanks for bringing that back up. It's a topic that really is very dear to my heart. My kids are pretty close in age, 16, 17, and 19. Mm -hmm. So my involvement in their you know, true younger years at school, it was pretty intense, but it was all pretty concentrated in a, you know, a handful of years where I was more closely involved. And as they aged and as the need for me to not be in the classroom as much was starting to mm -hmm. evolve, I really realized that it was important to me. I love that they saw me as a participant and a leader and a volunteer and a helper in the circles that they traveled in. But as they are growing older, it was really so important to me. And this was just my own personal feeling. This was not like outside pressure from anybody else. It was totally internal. It was so important for me that they see me as a successful person who lived up to what I was asking of them. I absolutely would not want to put it on them that they, to set goals or to have them consider what it means to be successful in their lives, in school, in sports, in friendships, in all the things that are important to them, if I'm not doing that myself. And so that was a huge conversation for me, especially with my daughter. It was absolutely critical that, and you know what? And this is really important actually as well. There's a lot in my life that's gone well. I'm really fortunate for a whole lot of things, but it was also really okay for her to see me struggle mm -hmm. and fail and get back up and talk about it. and. I'm afraid sometimes that like I may be the kind of person who might always look like things are going okay. And that is absolutely not the case. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. that was probably the first honest truth that we were able to have. And that was really significant just in terms of life lessons, being able to talk about that kind of struggle. And wow, like, you know, the kids, you know, they see parents, you know, going off to work every day or they see us in whatever kind of reality that they think we live in. And the truth is, is that it is really hard sometimes. And it was actually a blessing for me to be able to share those struggles with the kids and for them to know that it's okay. I can be, you know, denied an opportunity or I can be, you know, kind of doors closed on me and I am not stopping. Yeah. 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 And, I, and I was going to ask you, so when you were making this transition, what was your like support circle like? What did your kids tell you? Like, what did your husband like? Do you guys have conversations and dinner about maybe you getting rejected from a, an application or like how did that play out for you? I wasn't necessarily this topic of dinner table conversation, <laughs> but it was definitely something that we talked about a little bit more, you know, just naturally in conversation. Certainly, my husband heard some of the struggle and the kids for sure. But the thing that made all the difference in the world for me, and Tammy can speak to kind of what Path Forward does in the way of educating all of the people in the cohort about the change that they're about to experience personally, because it's huge. I give 100% credit to my family for being so supportive in that time. There were things that went through my mind just in terms of how you structure your day, where you know, and I know that working women and men, anybody who's got a family and a career, 
this is not a new conversation. Everybody's talking about how to find that balance or at least to, you know, create something that works for them. For me, it was, you know, gosh, I spent all my time, you know, doing these other things. And now I have to figure out how to spend maybe an additional 40 or 50 hours a week at work and commuting. And how do I let go of some of those things that were so important and so critical? My family, oh boy, talk about the rock stars. Yeah. I'm, and my husband, to his credit, I just adore that this happened. His plan A, which worked beautifully, was to call in his mom. <laughs> we flew grandma in and uh, grandma came and spent the first three weeks of my returnship back at Zendesk. We had grandma in the house for three weeks and she was absolutely tireless and yeah. she helped out so much. Huge gratitude for that because yeah. I mean, clearly shout I would out to grandma. Shout out to grandma. Out to grandma. I would have made it through and Everybody would have eaten and they would have survived, but it just made a huge difference having the support of a family to yeah. back, back me up. Yeah. And going a little deeper on the husbands, because my sister's also pregnant and her husband is also like supporting her very well. And you could talk about this too, Tammy, like what role do the partners or the spouses of the mothers that are trying to return into the workforce play? And do you educate them through Path Forward? Or do you like say this is like the best practices to get involved with it? Like, how does that work? Yeah. I know it was great that grandma was there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I call it um, when we do our workshop sessions with the women that are starting their internships, we call it the, the home service level agreement has changed dramatically. Those clients, they notice like they, <laughs> they notice they're not getting the level of service they were, they were previously enjoying. I will say, I mean, and I love Wendy's story. It makes me so happy. And I hear many stories like that. There are families that are less supportive. The kids are generally supportive. Kids adapt. Like kids are kind of like they, you know, mom's happy. Everybody's happy. Husbands, it's a mixed bag, frankly. I mean, I've definitely encountered some, you know, I don't usually meet them personally, but just through the stories that the women in the program tell, I've definitely uh, observed, right? Some that are super great and super supportive and like, yeah, this is awesome and whatever you need and others that are less so and it's tough and it's definitely a tough thing for women to figure out how to renegotiate that relationship. So here's another, maybe a doozy, but like, you know, I know a lot of single parents, right? And yeah. so can you talk a little bit about how single parents deal reintegrating to the workforce that don't have that support system? And well, we've had that one driver for some women to go back to work is divorce, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes death, sometimes disability, but divorce is a pretty common one, right? And so now I'm like back at work, nobody at home, like, and it's definitely tough. It's definitely tough. For many of them, extended family does come into the mix and many people are lucky to have that. Some of them find the networks to Wendy's point that they built in their home life are helpful. Like the other moms will rally around them and help them out. But it's definitely, it's a real double whammy for women yeah. to go through that. Yeah. And if I'm a single parent that's raising kids that wants to reintegrate into the workforce, even if I have the desire to do it, and I'm doing everything that I can to like get into it. A lot of times I can't afford to even do the work because I can't support my kids doing it. Is there any like resources that exist? I know we talked about paid leave. We talked about other things, but like, are there any resources that exist that can bridge that gap so that you can put in the time to do the job search and send out the emails, et cetera? Oh, that's definitely tough. I mean, there's, there probably are some resources out there that's a little outside my exact experience and expertise. But I think 
you know, what I tell the women in our program who sometimes struggle with, you know, how to think about balancing and investing in, I tell them to think about childcare as an investment in that process. Like it does feel, it is quite expensive for many people and it feel it, but if you think of it as an expense, it actually exacerbates that feeling. Whereas if you think about that as an investment in your future earnings and your ability to earn and provide for your family that can help, but it's definitely, definitely a tough thing yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And so, um, uh, Wendy, you are in a marketing role. What does your day to day look like? You broke into, into marketing as Zendesk. How does that look like? Different every day. <laughs> <laughs> and that's part of the beauty of it. Being in the high tech world, being in, you know, a fast paced, high growth marketplace. For me, it's part of the beauty of it is that there's not like a really strict defined role that I had to fit within these lines. And this is where I come in every day and do. So for me, it really helped me. I think that helped me actually make the adjustment. My day prior to this was filled with hundreds of different things going on. And that's how this role is today. I love the energy and the creativity and just kind of the newness of what happens in this role. Do you have a tight relationship? So like in your marketing role, do you have a tight relationship with your sales team? Like you're generating leads for them to work on or are you creating content to warm them up or like how, how does your marketing function work within the organization? Those are most excellent questions from somebody who knows the inside. <laughs> I um, specifically, Zendesk has a, a pretty, pretty mean marketing machine. Okay. I fit within our field marketing organization. And so as you initially mentioned, our team's role is to help with lead generation and brand awareness. So we have a team of people who have regions around the country and I mean, we're a global company. So there are other offices around the world who do things that are similar in their own regions. We're hosting events. We're reaching out to prospects, we're identifying new leads, and yes, working very closely in partnership with the sales organization nice. to help them drive business. Very cool. Yeah. And uh, in the pre-chat, you also mentioned how your prior experience before you had the kids actually ties in directly into like some of the things you're doing now. Can you just talk a little bit about how, like, what are those skill sets that you've had maybe 15 years ago that are still applicable today? There's a couple of things. Well, there's a lot of things that come to mind. One is that I did work in sort of a similar role mm -hmm. 20 years ago <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in working with a, it was a startup at the yeah. time or a young company, young software company that was based in Atlanta. And Shout out to ATL. Yeah. <laughs> and we got some other Atlanta natives in the house. Mm -hmm. So many of the, the concepts were familiar to me. Mm -hmm. And although you know, the idea of how a marketing and sales organizations support each other maybe has not changed dramatically. Conceptually, those, you know, there, there's still a lot of similarity as mm -hmm. to when I was in the business a while ago. But from a tactical standpoint, every single tool has changed. Mm -hmm. I really do not know that there is anything <laughs> that is the same. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned some things like it was before Gmail existed, right? And other things like that. Can right? you imagine? <laughs> Before Gmail, before Salesforce, before, you know, there was, there was no texting, there were no cell phones. I, I mean, seriously, life has, life has changed as anybody in, in the generation that is, you know, part of this business knows. Yeah. yeah. And what, which tools or resources 
when you so you mentioned uh, all these different tools like Salesforce, Gmail. I'm sure there's other plugins that you guys use uh, in your marketing role. How did you go about acquiring the skills? And did that happen uh, once you got brought on board, or you did some research ahead of time? Can you just share some uh, advice and resources with our listeners? Absolutely. A number of the tools that I had to be self-taught on mm-hmm. were things that I started to use when I was in a volunteer role in my community, right? Oh. So that was another really important reason mm-hmm. for me. It helped me stay connected to just be current and maybe not necessarily to the degree that was necessary for a professional role and for me to continue my career, but it at least kept me in the game and kept me relevant with some of the things that were going on. Now, when I got to Zendesk, you know, learning the internal tools here, everybody is self-taught now. There's, you know, where we might perhaps in the past have been used to waiting for a training department to enroll us and to go through weeks of training. Oh, no. You figure it out. Yeah. Um, Google what you need and you better... If it's important to to you, you better be figuring it out and not waiting for somebody to bring it to you. So that's also a a real shift in the mentality of the workforce today Mm -hmm. that was perhaps a little bit different than when I left. Yeah. Did helping out with your kids' homework or interacting with your kids expose you to tools, technology that you never were exposed to before? Hey, you know it did (laughs) (laughs) Um, in a very big way. And isn't that something? I mean, and so there's a beautiful, you know, kind of, a role reversal that is also so fantastic as a parent when you can sit down and let your kids teach you something. Number one, what a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And number two, they get to learn to be the teacher and the leader yeah. and to be learning something from them in their words and their interpretation is pretty fantastic. Yeah. It's yeah. really great to accept, you know, I think there's, you know, gosh, as parents, a lot of people are kind of you can tend to be kind of a control freak sometimes. I can. So it's really, really, that's a, a beautiful comment because yeah. that's such a nice thing to do is to just turn those tables yeah. and let somebody else. And the way they teach is very interesting too, because they have a different perspective as well and teach you to think about things that you may not have thought about them before because their perspective is limited because they haven't lived as long as we have. Most certainly. So, and they're just unique. So that's awesome. And um, Tammy, you mentioned something about how some of the listeners right now aren't parents. So this this content may not be as relevant, even though it's, it's very helpful to understand these concepts. But um, can you kind of share the quote that you mentioned about something that is relevant for every single person yes. on the podcast? Yeah. So our program is open to men or women who've taken time off for caregiving, which includes any kind of care. So that could be childcare, certainly, but also elder care. Not everyone has a kid, but everyone has parents. And we all will get old and need care. So that is something that is true and happening. So we have definitely had some some women and men, for that matter, in our program who've been out of the workforce for caregiving of either a parent or maybe a sibling who got sick or a spouse or something like that, where it was a different kind of caregiving. Yeah. And I love that Path Forward focuses on that, not just because, you know, Timorita and I have been thinking about it a lot because our parents are getting older but also because I spent a lot of time in that space during my time at Honor. What are some of the unique struggles that caregivers face that a parent may not face? Oh, that's interesting. I think I've definitely met a couple of folks who were dealing with grief, right? Mm-hmm. The reason that they were done caregiving was that someone had passed. So they were dealing with 
grief around that. And that was, that's definitely been something, but I think that's probably been the the trickiest thing and the hardest thing to deal with. That's an interesting one because it could either slow you down or it could also motivate you to kind of keep the legacy going. Yeah. I almost got emotional thinking about my child teacher who died, but like, it's definitely like. And some of them are deal- still dealing with some kind of caregiving. And it may be that the person has, you know, gone into an institution or home or something. Like so they may be dealing, they may still be dealing with some issues. So there's, there's definitely things in there. It's definitely yeah. tough. It's definitely tough. Yeah, it's a get, very different kind of caregiving. Yeah. And like getting back into the workforce can just be like, yo, I got to do this because you now I'm representing them and keeping right. the legacy going. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. So Tammy, and um, in the beginning, we covered a little bit about the program, but I don't think you ever told us how you got started and what actually launched um, the organization and actually made you quit your previous job to do this full time. Yeah. So I was working with um, working for a software company called Return Path that is based in New York City, but has a large office in Colorado. And their HR department, led by the amazing Kathy Holly and several other folks out there, came up with this idea of a returnship to bring women back to the workforce. And I had, through my tenure at Return Path, had had a couple of kids, taken maternity leave, come back, and had been thinking throughout my career about what it means to women to have children and what that does to their career. And why is it that 40 years after women have been at parity with men in college are not anywhere near parity with men everywhere else? And why is that? And I was like, I think this has something to do with babies. (laughs) And um, so I thought this was great. I thought it was great that we were doing this program as a woman and as a mom and as a publicist. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, I see a story here. So we got some coverage in the San Francisco Chronicle and some other places. And then other companies started reaching out to Matt Blumberg, who's the CEO of Return Path, and saying, hey, could your HR people kind of get together with my HR people and, you know, maybe we could do something here. And they got a group of companies together in Colorado. But that was when PayPal reached out and asked if they could be part of it. And so Matt's reaction being a CEO and always liking to do things bigger and better every (laughs) time, that's what those CEOs do, was like, sure. But hold on, like my HR department can't keep running other companies' HR programs, right? That's, they've they got to run my company. So he decided to found a nonprofit because he felt like there was a bigger impact than he could have just at his own company. And he wanted to have that bigger impact. And when he told me his vision for that, I said, that's an awesome idea. And the bad news is I'm about to quit my job running your PR department because <laughs> I want to ask you to let me run your nonprofit instead. Wow. Uh, by the way, we have a shtick about this. When he tells a story, he tells it the other way around, which is he asked me to do it. So we kind of kind of do a little banter. It's cute. But I have the email that proves that I asked him if I could do it. Um, so and then we started Path Forward. And, you know, we had already started working with PayPal. So we ran their, their first iteration of the program, which was great. But then we started reaching out to companies under the Path Forward banner as like this nonprofit and like, hey, would you guys get together? And Zendesk was part of that very first cohort under the Path Forward banner, which was so crucial. Mm-hmm. There were a couple other companies, but the companies that had that name recognition like Zendesk had was really crucial mm-hmm. to kind of get us off the ground right. and get us noticed and get other companies to be like, oh, this is something we could do. Yeah. yeah. And you speak with a lot of HR departments across the board, right? With the big tech companies as well as smaller mid-sized startups. So I guess what are some of the patterns that you keep seeing? And I know the topic of diversity and inclusion has been in the news a lot, but Kind of what uh, things are you seeing that companies do effectively and also what could companies do better to support their employees and actually expand the pool to more than just the people that currently work for the companies, but kind of a lot more diversity? So here's what I've noticed. 
Where the rubber hits the road is with hiring managers, mm-hmm. right? There are some fantastic HR departments out there. There are some less fantastic ones. There are some fantastic ones. There are some fantastic HR leaders. They can't do anything if the people on the ground aren't willing to champion it. Mm-hmm. Where we have had the most successful cohorts and the most successful implementations is when the hiring managers mm-hmm. get it mm-hmm. and are willing to make that leap and willing to take that chance and willing to invest. HR can facilitate that. They can invest in it. They can do all kinds of things to help make that happen. But the reason hiring in the United States is so crazy mm-hmm. is because it's so inefficient. Every no. single person is hired by one other person. It's mm-hmm. kind of crazy when you mm-hmm. think about it, right? And it's that's where that's where it stops. So it means, what I think that means is it's down to all of us, mm-hmm. right? There's no, you know, the CEO is not going to come in and save the day. Like yeah. we have to do it. Yeah. We have to be inclusive. Yeah. So I think the best companies are the companies that get that and don't expect it with a, employees, don't expect it to be someone else's job to yeah. make it diverse that they expect it to yeah. be their job. For those of you that missed it, when the rubber hits the road, it's the hiring managers that are key not to discredit anybody else that's involved with the process, but it's important for them to understand. So what are some things that you do to educate these hiring managers to understand? Because it sounds like you spend a lot of time coaching them before you even coach the mothers or the parents yeah, that are absolutely. coming through the cohort. Yeah, we have a whole um, engagement series with the partners that we work with. And it does start with the HR department, right? So we give them, we literally hand them a handbook. Like here's, here's how to run a path forward program. Here's everything that you need to know. But that includes enablement for the hiring managers. So we do a couple different sessions for the hiring managers. The first one and the most important one is on recruiting and interviewing. So we talk about looking for transferable skills. We talk about hiring for potential versus like exact checkboxes down some long list of fantasy qualifications. Mm-hmm. We talk about unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. We talk about conscious bias. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do we think about women who've taken time off? What do we think about their ambition, their mm-hmm. drive? Mm-hmm how committed they are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And how do we think about people who don't display confidence, right? Displays of confidence are actually not correlated with competence. They're inversely correlated with competence. And yet this is how we interview people. So we talk about all that. That's the most important. Then we talk about onboarding and giving feedback and managing through the program. So how to welcome women into the program, how to give them feedback is the most crucial part of this program. Because what a lot of women don't know if they've been out of the workforce for a long time is, where do I fit? Where's my gap? What do I need to know? What do I not know? What am I really good at? What do I need work on? So feedback is a critical component. And then we do a session on offboarding, right? What to do at the end of the program focused on like, okay, what, are you, what do you do if you're delighted and you want to make an offer? What do you do when you're not delighted and you're not making an offer? How do you support her through that process? So we kind of take them through that whole life cycle of the program. Nice. Nice. Love it. Yeah. And what are some of the outcomes of your program? Because I know you have a pretty kind of high percentage of people who get jobs after it, but just share it with our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So 85% of the people who've gone through our program are employed full-time within six months of the end of the program. Nice. So it's a combination of people who get retained by the company where they do their returnship and then others who go elsewhere. I open every workshop that I do with the women in our program by telling anywhere between four to six success stories. And I also always tell them, different flavors, right? Here's one who got the job at the company. Here's one who got that, not that job, but a different job at that company. Here's someone who got a job at another company and focus on the the different pathways that they've used for the that. Do you have perspective on why some of them didn't get the jobs at those companies? 
you know, sometimes there is a skill gap. Sometimes there is, you know, they're not quite ready for the role that they maybe thought they were going to be and they need to do some more work. Sometimes it's environment. I've had women who got feedback that if they were at a big company that they needed, that they weren't doing so well with the bureaucracy and needed more of an entrepreneurial environment. I've had women get the opposite feedback, which is at a smaller company, you need more structure and process and you mm-hmm. would be better off at a big company. That's mm-hmm. great feedback, by oh, the yeah. way, either of the right, like super helpful. Yeah. So sometimes it's environment, sometimes it's, you know, a personal management issue, which is a little bit like dating. It's just is what it is. Yeah. So there's there's a number of different reasons. Yeah. And um, I think we talked about the program. We talked a little bit talked a little bit about duration. Is there any costs associated with it? And uh, then what are some some places for people to get started? Yeah. So the our model. So we are a startup nonprofit. So I am I'm running a startup, which is very fun and crazy and fun. So our model is, and we have some great people who are in the tech startup community who are part of our board. So Brad Feld has been part of our board. Joanne Wilson, who's an angel investor in New York City, is part of our board. Greg Sands has been a founding donator and helper and supporter. So we've got some great people behind us. But our model is earned income. So the partners pay a fee to us to be part of the program and to get all the things that I was just talking about in terms of the HR department and the hiring managers and all that. So that's what funds our operations. Women in the program pay nothing to us. They get paid by the company and the company pays them directly. So they're employees of the companies that we work with. Women can get involved by going to our website and seeing all the great job listings that we have from companies like Apple and Intuit and Medallia and Cloudera and many, many other great partners that we're working with this cycle and sign up for our newsletter. That's how they get job information and job listings from us. And for companies, they can email us at hello at pathforward.org and we would be happy to talk to them about how they could work with us. That's really cool. And um, in the pre-chat, we also talked about your organization. It's not just a nonprofit. It's you're also running running it like a startup. So you must have some things if you had a wish list or you had a magic wand that you would want to like have. So what are some of those things that our community and maybe the tech community as a whole can rally to provide you with those? You know, the biggest thing for us is people often ask me where we find the women for our program. And I always tell them the same thing, which is the supply is not the problem. The women are out there. They find us, right? They find us, they find the companies. The problem is the demand. It's making space in these companies. So the biggest thing we need is companies to work with us and host returnships and be part of this movement and be part of this. That's the biggest thing. I feel compelled as a nonprofit founder. I have to mention that we are a fully accredited 5013C and we happily take donations, which are fully tax de- <laughs> deductible, even under our crazy Republican tax plan. So we we have two income streams, right? We have donations from from people, but our main income stream is from partners. And we are mostly funded by partners, which is pretty phenomenal for a nonprofit in its second year of operation. Mm-hmm to have the majority of its income coming from earned income versus donations. Yeah. So that's amazing. We're yeah. trying to stay off the fundraising merry-go-round. Yeah. And um, let's say a hiring manager is listening to this podcast now and they want to bring it into their organization. What advice do you have for them to kind of champion this within their company? That's a really great question. And I would say we've definitely had success with that. I think if they go to the HR department and say, I'm willing to be the hiring manager for this. Mm-hmm. That makes a huge difference because a lot of times when we go to HR, they get it. They like the idea. They think it makes mm-hmm. perfect sense. Their challenge is getting the hiring managers on board and mm-hmm. getting that sold into them. So if you are in a position to hire people and you can go to your head of, head of HR and say, hey, I will do this. I will sponsor this. 
that can make a huge difference. It is what has helped us at many companies that we work with. Yeah. And something else that you commented on is about the the demographic from an age perspective. There's a a mixed age or? It's definitely mixed. We've got folks who, you know, we have folks at one end of the range who have maybe are still young mothers, have taken a few years off. So are are more in that mid thirties to to early forties range. And then we have folks who've taken more time off but out of the workforce longer and are therefore at the upper end of that range, which by the way, is one of the things that many of the companies that we work with like about the program. I have literally had some HR people say, yeah, we need to mature our workforce a little bit, like, or even we know we need a few adults in the building. Mm-hmm. So some of the companies we work with like that part of the program that it brings people in who have professional and emotional maturity. So that's been a selling point for some of them. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. So at this point in the podcast, we do the lightning round. And this is, uh, so you guys are actually the first uh, two guests who, that we've interviewed together. Okay. So we'll ask you five questions and we'll take turns uh, answering. But we're looking for any tactics, any strategies, or any resources that you've used to get to where you are today. And feel okay. free to ask them back to us and things like, or questions back to yeah. us. Yeah, okay. so like with that said, yeah, totally. So this question takes us back to the basics. And when we talk about like working on a limited budget or limited resources, I think moms or parents are probably one of the best people at that. So imagine if you, for both of you, if you were dropped into a new, a new city, you didn't know anyone, and you only had $100 to get yourself back up and start looking for a job in tech, what would you do and how would you spend that $100? <laughs> I'd go out and have a fabulous dinner. And sign up to do some volunteer work that was going to connect me in the community. Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome. that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I would try to meet as many people as possible. I'm not sure quite how I'd spend the hundred bucks, but I would try to meet as many people as possible. I don't think there's any substitute for connecting with yeah. actual human beings. You can't do it all behind the computer, people. Like you yeah. got to actually go out and connect with actual yeah. human beings. And applying online doesn't work, so you have oh, to go out there and meet not someone. So apply now, apply now, apply. Now. You're wasting your time. Stop doing that. Please stop doing that. <laughs> Yeah. And so if you had any like one sentence, like if you could tweet out advice for parents that want to break into tech, what would that tweet look like? And also what advice do you have like for your kids now that you're in the workforce? The tweet would be, you know, everything you need to know, just go for it. Like it. My comment in that situation is I think a lot of us really feel alone. You know. I have plenty of friends who do have careers and who work. I felt really alone in how I was approaching this. And the moment that you really put yourself out there. So if I had to tweet and I had to be limited in my characters, it would be get started. Love it. There really is no substitute. Mm-hmm. I thought about this for a long time and nothing happened. Yeah. But guess what? <laughs> the moment that you put yourself out there and you start speaking it, and you update your resume, and you start networking, guess what? Something happens. That's very startup mindset, too. Like, they mm-hmm. talk about just launching. You just know, go. Not, you know, if, ship. You, if you aren't embarrassed at the first version of your product, you launch too late. Yep. We just talk ship. about it all the time. Yeah. I tell women to start by figuring out what they want to do, which, of course, is the most terrifying thing. But I always say to them, you need to have an answer, not the answer. Yeah. Big yeah. difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big difference. Can I ask another question? What has given you the most joy as a mother? My kids laugh. Like they just 
that it's such pure joy, yeah. that child laugh. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, there's nothing. And when it's yours, like there's just nothing else like it. Yeah. For me, it's absolutely seeing my kids rejoice in their own success and happiness. Mm-hmm. So watching their pride and accomplishment and knowing that they're happy, it makes everything else you know, it really puts everything else in perspective. Yeah. When they're unhappy, it's really hard for me to be fully happy. Yeah. And when they've succeeded and they've championed through something and they're happy with who they are, my job is done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. And the next question is about uh, overcoming challenges. Sometimes, uh, I guess, when you're in the moment and you're experiencing the challenge, you kind of feel very down. You might feel rejected. Some people feel depressed, but looking back, you realize that that was kind of the tipping point that made everything happen and made made it all worthwhile. For you guys, what was that moment in your life, either related to career search or not? It could be just anything. So I think for me, like right before I asked Matt to give me the the PathForge job, what turned into the PathForge job, I actually got rejected for a different job at Return Bath. That was, that would have been sort of kind of a promotion. And, and I, I think it's so important to just keep going. Like, just don't let those things stop you. And the most mm-hmm. successful people do that. And I think this is especially important for women because I think women get, boys get taught that, right? But get up, get up, go again, you know? And I, I think girls get a slightly different messaging and are not always told to keep going. Like if someone says no, I'll ask somebody else. Like, you know, and that's, I think an important thing. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah. What is something? Wait, that, wait. Oh, oh sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, darn. I thought I was off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to, I don't have like a certain aha moment yeah. that comes to mind with that scenario, but the messaging, uh, you know, and, and this was like, to me, this was the messaging that I was getting as a kid from my parents is like, you don't know what's possible until you start. It kind yeah. of, you know, it yeah. kind of feeds off of what I just said a second ago. But when you, there are some beautiful quotes. I can't name them specifically, but they absolutely have to do with, you have no idea the circumstances that will begin to unfold that will support you when you put yourself out there and you make a decision and you act and the universe has a beautiful way of starting to support what is going on in your, in your life then. And if you, if you hesitate or if you are, you know, indecisive or uncertain about that, the same kinds of things might not happen for you. But the moment that you declare and you decide and you stick to your guns about something like that, there's a lot of support that you could have never even imagined that will be around you. It's all around. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What's something that you feel men can never fully understand about motherhood? Wow. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that it's that it's something that men can't understand. I think that there's a very there's a different bond in every family. Mm-hmm. You know, I think mothering and fathering in my family is different than in my friends' families. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it it may not necessarily be the like I don't know what it means to father. Yeah, um, I, so I don't I don't know how to how to exactly answer that. You know, I think that the bond that we each have is very, very different in our home. It is. There were times in my, in, you know, my parenting in the children's growing up where the connection that they 
have with me was really, you know, very different than the connection that they have with their dad. Here we are, you know, same place, same house, same time. And we develop different relationships just based on who we are and the kind of style that we have. So I would never purport that like I know something different about my kids or I have a different connection with them. I will say, you know, like my caregiving style and my just emotional connection is much more just kind of like lay it all out there. I'm a a very emotional person. And I thank goodness that we have kind of a a good yin and yang in my home. I have this, you know, kind of very like close connection with them that way. And thank goodness my husband has this like pragmatic, like Mm -hmm. really, you know, he's a good driving force. He's total motivator, Mm -hmm. pushes a lot harder. Mm -hmm. And I love that they get that kind of balance from both of us. It's beautiful. I'm going to take it in a slightly more political direction, which is I think the thing that men don't understand about motherhood is that a lot of what they think is quote unquote natural is actually socialized expectation. Mm. Yeah. And I'll give you a really good, very specific example, which is when I went back to work after I had my daughter 10 years ago, which I still can't believe was 10 years ago, people would ask me all the time, don't you miss her? Which is like the worst thing to say to a mother. Like I either the answer is yes. And then I'm an uncommitted employee or the answer is no. And I'm a monster. Like there's no right answer to that. But people would ask me that all the time and they never, and my husband went to work like right, like three minutes after she had the baby. They never asked him that. Interesting. And I remember the first time he came home after he'd gone to work and she's like three or four days old and he comes into the apartment and he takes one look at her and he says, God, I missed you. Wow. And it was such an amazing emotional moment. And I was just like, no one is ever going to ask him that question. No one is ever going to ask him that question. So, so much of what we think of as like natural motherhood, nurturing, yada, yada, is actually socialized expectations that we have imposed on mothers and actually don't allow fathers. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. That's beautiful. And um, I guess we'll wrap this up. But last question is, I guess there's there's going to be a lot of parents listening to this episode and parents are always like trying to raise their kids in the best way possible and you both have the privilege of being on the front lines working for a really like great tech company and also running your own nonprofit startup so kind of what advice do you have for other parents who are trying to prepare their kids for the jobs of the future in this tech world I have perhaps a, a slightly different spin on my answer to that question mm-hmm. which is it's not our job as parents to prepare our children for a certain future. Mm-hmm. It is our job as parents to embrace the skills and the personalities and the beauty that they show up with. Mm-hmm. We get to nurture that. And person, I mean, this is my own personal feeling. We don't define that for our kids. Mm-hmm. I am not determining that my kids are going to be, you know, the future of the tech world or the future of arts or whatever it might be. I have really, really tried to just embrace who they show up as. And sometimes that seems to be a a certain direction. And then they surprise you and, you know, they show up as somebody different. So I really, I really want to kind of embrace more of the, the beauty of how it's so fascinating to me how, you know, like three kids in a fairly close age range can grow up in the same household with the same parents and turn out so beautifully different. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, it would be embrace who they are and appreciate their diversity and Mm -hmm. their individuality and see where that takes them. It's not for me to have them turn out a certain way. Love it. 
Yeah. And I'm going to echo that with the best piece of advice I ever got on parenting, which actually was from a father um, <laughs> who said that my job as a dad is to figure out who this little person is and to help him be the best that to be yeah. that best person, the best version of that person that he can be. Yeah. And I think that's that's right. Yeah. No, I think this was a, a fantastic episode. We appreciate you all sharing all this. Thank you so much, guys. So this much was so fun. Us. And um, for the for the community that wants to stay in touch, I know you gave the email, but do you all have like Twitters or emails or ways that you oh, want to get in touch or anything like that? Of course, we are <laughs> we are at Path Forward. It's Path FWD because you know you got to make it short mm-hmm. in the Twitter yeah. world. Mm-hmm. We're on Facebook. We're on LinkedIn. We're all over the place. So we're everywhere. Like yeah, yeah, like us, tweet <laughs> us, whatever new thing somebody's going to invent tomorrow. Do that thing. Do that thing too. <laughs> awesome. You guys were just absolutely awesome to talk to. Thank you for making this conversation relevant and accessible to mm-hmm. a bigger audience. Thank you. Thank you awesome. so much. All right. So without further ado, let's break in. Let's do it. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.